Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and today I've brought our producer Jimmy back into our makeshift studio to talk to me today. Hi Jimmy. Hi Steph. Um, so today we're going to talk about something that we have both become rather obsessed with, um, which is the show Fleabag, which has become something of a, of a pop culture obsession for a lot of people recently. Um, so Fleabag's two seasons are available on Amazon Prime at the moment. We should say that this is a, there is a spoiler warning for this episode. Massive. Massive spoiler warning. We're going to talk about both seasons. Um, if you haven't watched Fleabag, stop this podcast now. Go watch it. It is very quick to get through. Absolutely. Very, very fast. I mean, you can do it in an afternoon, six episodes each season. Yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes each. I mean, it shouldn't take you more than two days to get through. Um, so go and watch it and then come back because it's really, really worth not spoiling yourself. Mm. Um, so, Jimmy, why do you like Fleabag? Well, I love... Okay, so first up, I really love things that surprise and shock me and is kind of irreverent as well. Mm-hmm. I love things that... Um, go down a really unexpected path and so the first scene of Fleabag had me hooked because I was rolling in the ground laughing my head off it's and very dirty yes, yes. It's very, very dirty. it's filthy and I love that I love the <laughs> filth you know um, and anything that can get, have me laughing to that stage I think okay you've done a really good job yeah. she or, does a great job of capturing you straight away like yeah. in the first minute and it's yeah. just her, her comic timing is just brilliant I mean I have to say the editing is also fantastic mm. I, I, I've never seen a show edited in such a wonderfully comedic way. Sometimes you think it's almost jarring, but it's perfect the way it actually does it because it, it uh, perfectly juxtaposes very, very serious sometimes scenes with really, really out, laugh out loud scene. And often in the same scene and often as in well. The same scene, yeah. yeah. So I think anything that does that for me is really brilliant. But what really shocked me or, or surprised me about the show, uh, especially the first episode, because that that was a hook for me. That first episode, after watching the first episode, I thought this is a show, mm. and it's just sit down and watch it completely. Uh, was the way that it, I don't want to use the word manipulated because there's negative connotations, but mm. um, the way it actually played with my emotion. I think so. I started off the episode thinking this is really funny. It's absolutely filthy, which I mm. you know <laughs> absolutely adore. Um, but then by the end of the episode, I just thought. Uh, I'm actually quite saddened by what's going on in the story. That you know, yeah, Fleabag's sad. It's it's quite yeah. a sad story, you know. Um, and I love that it, it didn't betray anything. The characters remained the same, but it was that the more I got to know of her as a character, the more I cared. And things that you would normally laugh at with a character, uh, at a character, you start to feel sympathy for. Mm. And it just played with my emotions so beautifully that I thought this is a, a major, major talent here. Yeah, the way she's so able, she's able to so effortlessly move between comedy and tragedy, really. I mean, she's mm. grieving in the first season a, a, a terrible death um, of her best friend and, mm. and her, as we find out, her own kind of complicity in, yes. in what happened um, and her own kind of psychological problems. Mm. Um, but she, she does it with such a deft lightness of touch. Um, it never becomes too much on either end it's just managed so well and like you say that there's this brilliant shifting between those two modes which you know comedy is sometimes seen as sort of the opposite of tragedy but they're very they're very it's closely a very tied. fine line I think. it's very fine line and she exploits that fine line she's got, she's got such a individual voice i think she does and I, I think her ability to um move effortlessly between comedy and tragedy or comedy and drama is mm. something that um, most writers would aspire to do because it's so um, it, it's so difficult to do and to do well. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of people do it really clunkily. Yes. Like, you know, they'll sort of be like, well, this is the funny episode or mm. this is the funny bit and now here's the sad bit. And it's never that simple. Yeah, you can always see the, um, you know, the wheels working in a lot of those sort of scripts. But with this one, it just feels so organic mm. the way it moves so effortlessly between, you know, uh, different modes that I... I was completely captured by that. And I do love Fleabag. You know, I think she's, she's a, a great wonderful character. character. She's a, and she, she, she seems to speak to like this sort of older millennial kind of like experience, <laughs> like this sort of driftless kind of um, <laughs> figuring out who you are in the world and not quite and that's able to figure it out. Yeah. yeah, and that self-destructive quality that a yeah. lot of people you know, currently too also have, you know, this uh, desire for pleasure um, without considering the consequences mm. of it, you know, because... I mean, the, the whole tragedy is that it's not that she was trying to hurt a friend or that she was a terrible friend or anything like that, but it was just, you know, it was an impulsive thing, yeah. I often feel. Um, and She doesn't know what she's doing, really. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's, you know, she's confused. She's lost. She's damaged. Uh, and, and she then, says that many times. I yeah. just want somebody to tell me what to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, which, you know, we'll get, we'll get onto we'll get a bit on later that, yeah. because, you know, that's the almost penultimate scene that everybody yeah. wants to talk about. But, yes, you know, we, we get a sense of this is a really damaged character who's trying her best to survive mm. and she's deeply flawed and mm. I think that's what I really love about it. you know I'm sick of characters who are almost too saint-like and, and you just think oh, I can't relate to that or too competent yeah. you know like I've been I've been like as well as recently watching Fleabag I've been watching Veronica Mars on and off because <laughs> of the new season and and she's so competent mm. she's damaged as well but she's also really competent in her own kind of sphere mm. of being a kind of teen detective and like that's not real <laughs> you know like <laughs> people like Veronica Mars don't exist mm. you know but people like Fleabag I feel do exist she seems she reads mm. it so human to me yeah. and you know Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays Fleabag, Fleabag we should say and Superbly. she's superb and even the way she does all of the you know um, secondary characters like her stepmother played by Olivia oh. Colman she takes about five seconds to convey everything you need to know about that character mm. like her pretentiousness her you know faux lovingness <laughs> that's actually really bitchy underneath um everything about that character is so perfectly drawn so you mm. know everything you need to know about that character I mean, straight up it's, exactly it's brilliant <laughs> i mean there's one scene that just um it's very narky but it's also you know very meta in a, in a sense as well uh, in, in the second season where um, the mother, uh, the stepmother character, uh, something bad happens. So the, the priest says, you know, um, I can't make it to, to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, it's all good and fine. And the member of the door slams. She's like, you know, I'm not going to use the word, but, you know, she swears quite profusely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she storms up and says, I need to paint. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love that. You know, it, it always captures that faux artistic community yeah. so well mm. but, you know for them everything is a, an experience to, to a put dra- into art a know? drama a yeah. drama you know? yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling you know tragedy at the moment I need to go and paint it and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love the recurring motifs like the, the statue that oh, she steals in the first episode which is still a motif in the second yes. series and I yeah. do want to talk a little bit about that statue because um, one of the things that I really love about that motif that you know uh, recurs is in the first season it's uh, it's it's a comedic device. Yeah, this, this, she keeps stealing. She keeps stealing this yeah. thing, and she keeps feeling guilty and returning it. And then the stepmother says something nasty, and she steals it back. back again, yeah. uh, which I think is actually kind of quite true to life. I can sort of imagine myself doing something. Yeah, it's like similar. the kind of stupid, willful thing you do. Sometimes yeah. when people you know annoy you, you're like, 
Yeah. Yeah, like, you a, know? like a rebellious child. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, oh, I was going to give this back to you, but not yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then in the second season, it has a deeper resonance you know, yeah. when we find out that the sculpture was actually modelled on her mother yeah. who died. Um, and it was, you know, there was a reason why she kept, she was drawn to this sculpture. And one of the things I love about that revelation is it, it shows that there's continuity in this universe, mm. you know, that it wasn't just something randomly put out there and people forget about, you know, there's so many different um, scripts and stories that you, you encounter that uh, have all these loose ends. And when they're able to tie up a loose end really mm. nicely, you kind of, you really appreciate it. Yeah. Or, or by the, the sort of same token, like show that the reverberations of these things don't stop happening. Because, mm. you know, I, I feel like in a lesser TV show, the first season would be about her um, grieving her friend and her mother. And mm. then in the second series, that it'll be done with because it'd been yes. resolved in the first. But it doesn't do that. No. It, it, it insists that grieving and, and loss and damage continues. Yes. There is no, like, you know, yes, she'll she'll progress in some ways and she'll learn in some ways and she'll develop in some ways. But it's not like it's all solved and she's great you know all my problems are over i have moved you know like a lesser show would yeah. make a point of being like well now she's turned the corner and she's a better person absolutely and um i think her intention for the first i mean she was she only had an intended for it to be one season uh and if you watch the ending of the first season it's actually quite open-ended mm. you know, there is no resolution at the end um, yeah. the final scene is just the revelation of um her complicity in, in, yeah. in, in her friend's death uh, and that's it. We're kind of almost left, we're almost abandoned uh, in that story. Uh, the second season has a, a much neater mm. ending, I think, but I kind of like that as mm. well. I, I like that it um, sort of completes some of those story arcs. But at the same time, it doesn't um, try to deceive us by saying that this is the end of... Fleabag's fine now. Yeah, she's fine now. <laughs> yeah. She's happy. She's going to be you know, well-adjusted or anything like that. Yeah. It's just kind of, well, actually, no, this is just another end of an arc, but it's just a... It, it, there's a little bit more closure. There is a little one. bit more closure. But, yeah, like you said, there's, there's no sense that, you know, she's now a healthy, well-adjusted person who no. has no problems in her life. She's no. still got, you know, it's just the, the, the priest arc, I suppose, is, yeah. is over. And to be honest, you know, if she does a third season, I would not be complaining. <laughs> oh, no, I know. And the thing is, the thing that's really clever about Phoebe Waller-Bridge is that there's no reaching for... Um, you know, we must do a second season because mm. the first season has been successful. You know, in the way that, like, say, something like Big yeah. Little Lies and stuff, mm. you know, oh, it's been successful, so we have to concoct a reason, even though the story's over. <laughs> she only she only does what she needs to do. And yes. that's actually, I love the brevity of the show. Mm. Um, you know, six episodes, you know, 20, 20 25 minute episodes, um, and that's it. But she tells a lot of story in that mm. time. It's not like it's it's superficial or, you know, there's not a lot of development because there is. Mm. But she doesn't carry it on beyond what it needs to be. It's just like these two perfect little nuggets of show mm. that aren't artificial or, you know, I've, 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 you know, made a second season because I want to cash in on mm. the success of the first. It's like three years between the first yeah. and the second. I was just about to say, you know, I love that she, you know, sat on and waited yeah, waited for a story to tell. Yeah, yeah. for a story to happen rather than trying to force that out. Yeah. And you can really see it in, in that second season. I mean, to be honest, I had reservations about the second season before I started because the first season was Yeah, it's so like, good. how can you top this? I know. Yeah. But, but, you know, the, but the, I think the second but, season's better. I, I agree. Yeah. I think the second season <laughs> is better yeah. because I just sort of... Maybe because my expectations were so low because I thought, oh, I really don't want it to be another case. I've had so many seasons, series. Yeah, you, you watch one and then and the next like, one. You love it and the next one you're kind of like, oh, mm. so disappointing. I wish I hadn't done that to myself. I just yeah, yeah. left you out wish, that high yeah. note of the first season. But this one with the second season, I just thought, wow. 
that. And you know what is so clever about the second season is that she does like, you know, in old-fashioned sort of television parlance, like bottle episodes where mm. like they'll all be like, not all of them, but a lot of the episodes are set in like one particular place or one mm. particular night. Like the first episode in season two is set at a particularly uncomfortable and awkward and um, problematic dinner party. One of party. my favourite dinner I, party scenes of all time. I, I love it. I mean, you, like it's, it's much more dramatic mm. than, you know, most dinner parties you yes. go to. But at the same time, like, the kind of awkwardness and you know people saying things but yeah. not saying things and like you know mm. dynamics between two people and then dynamics between the third and you know mm. all of the kind of complex kind of family relationships that she has to navigate yeah. are so beautifully done and you know it's just like this 22 minutes it's, of it's absolutely flawless actually that the way yeah. that it moves between characters and the way that they interact uh, and it's um, it's comfortability with allowing for those uncomfortable silences that often happens with these dinner yeah. party too. Uh, but it also has one of the most brilliant, I think, for me anyway, moments of um, what I was talking about earlier in terms of that um, editing, that comic editing. Mm. Uh, there's a wonderful moment where um, the stepmother character was saying, you know, uh, oh, and it's ironic because his mother was a les, and it just cuts if you while bridge outside, you know, taking a smoke, <laughs> yeah. and just kind of like, you know, it's it's. Really, you know, most scenes we kind of allow it to finish and then cut. Yeah. And then this one sort of cut her off halfway through as if that's exactly what was going in her brain. Like, you know, okay, I don't want to hear this anymore. Yeah. So we go have a cigarette break now. Yeah. And it's like, and it gives that the audience too as a viewer that that moment of oh, <laughs> of almost like a shock of kind of unexpected. You know, like what? Mm. What are you saying? You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love the transgressive nature of the, the, the topic they deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they don't do it as much in the second season, I think, but in the first season, um, there's a lot of um, really funny intro skits that they do. Mm. One of the best uh, strangers, I think, uh, as well, is when she's on a train and suddenly this music comes on and all the passengers do these weird dance and then stops and then starts yeah. and then stops again. And you're thinking, what the hell's going on? And then she suddenly turns to the, the camera and says, I think I'm getting my period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, just, and you know, it's, it, one it's, it's one of those laugh out loud. Yeah, it's one of those laugh out loud moments where you can't, it's completely unexpected, and yet it works so brilliantly because mm. you, can't, you know it's um, there's something I think almost magical about the way she she's able to do that. The, I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but funnily enough, but like the breaking the fourth wall, which she does yes. throughout the show, from you know straight from that first scene. Mm. Infamous first scene. Um, it's just One of my so favourite. Yeah, I mean, of all time. like, what a way to start a show! Like, <laughs> I take my hat off to you, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Amazing. Um, but it's so it's like having like your wise, cracking, funny friend commentating mm. on a show with you. Yes. Well, it's it creates such intimacy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I mean, it's interesting you should say that because when I finished watching the second season, I had a uh, a theory mm. about that. Uh, and I have to revisit the show, which I'll gladly do, mm. to uh, to test this particular theory. Um, and I don't think that it was probably intended or anything, but, you know, in the age of reader response theory, who cares anymore? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had this thought um, just at the end, especially, you know, when she sort of said goodbye to the camera, she, she waves goodbye to the camera, you know, she sort of stops the camera and says, no, no, that's it, we're, we're done. And then she sort of waves at it. I just had this strange thought in my head that uh, what if the character Fleabag herself um, isn't really addressing the audience as such? But addressing um, Boo, her friend who, who had died, mm. uh, because one of the things that I, I just kept thinking about was she never breaks the fourth wall in flashbacks. 
She never. Oh, you know, that's a good observation. Yeah, yeah. you know, when, when she's uh, looking, I could be wrong about that, but from my memory, mm. she rarely ever. You know, she, I don't think she ever breaks the fourth wall uh, with these flashbacks when Boo is actually there mm, and that's alive. That's interesting. Cause I like that theory. Yeah, and yeah. when she dies, it's kind of like she needs to fill in that gap. Um, and in fact, with the end of the first season, um, she does actually stop communicating uh, to the audience as well mm. after the revelation that she was complicit in mm. Boo, Boo's death. It's almost like that truth was too much for her, and she cannot continue this fantasy anymore that her friend is still with her and yeah. you know, talking and just even the way that she addresses the audience is very similar to the way that she addresses Boo as well which is why it comes off as such a like a friendly exactly. kind of relationship yeah, that, that was yeah. kind of what you were saying yeah. there that you know it's almost like she's talking to a really close friend and in a sense she was because you know her close friend is dead and she's mm. it's almost like a coping mechanism on, on her part to imagine that her close friend is still is still there. there and she's lonely and she's very yeah very she's so lonely she's and so it's, lonely. it becomes a way of as you say, it's forging some kind of connection. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I like that there. That's great. Yeah, I so hadn't, I hadn't sort of tweaked, but now that I think about, it, I think you're right that I don't recall a use of a of the breaking fourth wall. Yeah, and in just, a flashback, and yeah. it also um, ties up the end of the second season really nicely because it's almost like a, a eventually slowly making peace with Boo's death, and so it's mm. like, okay, well, look, I think I think we're done. Now. Mm. I yeah. think we can move on. Not necessarily because she's. Um, uh, sort of overcome that, but rather that events in her life slowly have allowed her to yeah you know, life life, life yeah, continues. On, yeah. It wasn't like some sort of revelation that occurred to her, um, and I think that's why we deal with grief a lot too. It's not like one day something magical will happen to us and we're just like, oh, I'm over that now. I've I've got closure. It's more like as life progresses, you just kind of think, yeah, I think I'm I'm okay now. You know, mm. you know, she will always remember her friend and she'll always grieve for a friend, but she doesn't have to grieve to that extent yeah. anymore. Yeah, and she doesn't have to um, like carry it with her, I suppose, because yeah. the first season is really about her just being totally immersed in that grief and totally mm. um, unable to and making stupid choices and mm. unable to see her way clear from that grief. So mm. I, I agree that in the second season we see, you know, she still has that grief, and it's not like Boo is just, you know, well, that was my past, I don't care about that mm. anymore. Um, it's just becomes time moves on, and that's how grief works. Yeah. You know, life goes on. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it, as I said, it's just a theory and I don't have to revisit to... to yeah, I like that theory. The, yeah, yeah. But, but I thought it was just a, a really nice way to think about the continuity of the series too because very uh, a lot of the series is actually all about grief. Um, yeah. So, you know, grief over her best friend, grief over her mother. mother, and then at the end, grief at the loss of a relationship, you know, with, uh, with the hot priest. Yeah. Well, I suppose we have to talk about We have that. to talk about, but can I just say, yeah. what I love too is the way that grief is shown, again, is juxtaposed with comedy mm. because you do have those moments. Like one moment that really stood out to me was when there's a flashback to the mother's funeral and she's talking about how her hair looks unacceptably oh, good. I love that scene. And she's, and she's like, people will think I'm trying to glam it up at yeah. my mum's funeral because my hair just looks great today. <laughs> um, and, like, it's the kind of stupid thing you worry about yeah. on occasions like that when something overwhelming is going on you often focus I, I've found in my life that mm. I've often focused on small things and like fixated on them <laughs> as a ma- as a way of kind of not dealing and yes. it's also like the stupid kind of way your brain works yes. you know what I mean like, but I also love the you know the way she carries that joke for just long enough to make it funny so you know yeah. the, the fact that everyone who sort of encounters it goes my god you look fat amazing yeah what's <laughs> so, with your hair it's yeah, amazing yeah like, you know grief really <laughs> works with you and she's like yeah thanks yeah <laughs> and so you know a part of you also is thinking you know does she actually 
but is that actually happening or is that also you know part of her yeah. active imagination her anxiety going, yeah, anxiety is, over yeah. the fact that she looks so good at the mother's <laughs> funeral it's which like is, my hair just keeps falling in this really yeah, chic way <laughs> it's really chic way no matter what I do to it it just looks amazing yeah. and you know I think that is also a really crucial life you know we do sometimes focus on the insignificant part of our lives so that we don't have to deal yeah, with the much heavier yeah. aspect of it. Um, and it's also how comedy works too. I think if you can sort of see the ridiculousness mm. of some of the things we do, um, then you can deal with life, I think, a little bit better. And that's what I really love about the show, mm. that, you know, that balance between those two aspects of life itself. Yeah, and I think that's just, like, as I said, I think that's just reflective of how our weird human brains work, you know, like something huge will be going on and you'll be like, with my hair, mm. you know? Um, and, and there's no sort of rhyme or reason for it, but it's just kind of how we with things as you said but yes we should talk about the priest first of all it's very weird that this is a attractive lovely priest character <laughs> culturally at the moment um you know i i didn't expect myself to be so quite timely as well well yeah so i didn't expect myself to be so enamored of a, of a priest but i i put that down to andrew scott um who is great he is amazing. famously moriarty and yes. sherlock um but very different role and I think it's also a sign of a great actor, um, especially when you cr- you've created such an iconic role as Moriarty and made it your own, mm. to be able then to shift to another character. Totally different. I, I would say also now another iconic Yeah, he's role. so good. He's um, good in everything he does, isn't he? <laughs> he's so good. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else other than these two shows, and I'm, I'm a big fan now because I'm thinking, mm. wow, why do I not know this actor who yeah. I thought was amazing as Moriarty and he's able to shed that image of Moriarty because initially when I first saw him I was like oh there's Moriarty he's going to be crazy he's going to be silly and then I just thought actually he's a really interesting unique character and quite warm in his own damaged Mm. way as well yeah because his is just as damaged as her and he's just as searching and he's found a way of kind Mm. of making meaning which is religion and she can't understand that Mm. but they've both got the kind of same sort of issues going on but she's also struggling with religion herself I think in in the second season um, and with uh I think it's suggested rather than um, made explicit that uh, she is, or she was born religious, but she sort of gave into it a up, religious family. Into a religious yeah. family, she sort of gave it up for whatever reason, maybe with the death of her mother and the death of her best friend, or whatever it is. Uh, but she's sort of given up on on her faith, and in a way, the end of this series has her reconciling, not necessarily probably going back to, to her mm. faith, but at least reconciling with some of the issues that she's had with. Well, yeah, and I mean, like just accepting that. People do find comfort for yeah. whatever reason in religion. Yes. Yeah. And I do love that ongoing gag of every time they do anything blasphemous, a, a painting would fall <laughs> as if yeah. God is speaking. You know? Yeah. <laughs> or there'll be like some kind of dramatic incident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love it. It's so well done. And he's so, such a delightful character. And the way that he, he bounces off her and they have mm. this immediate kind of um, chemistry together is just. Well, the it's scene so that completely done. warmed me to him was, um, you know, when she's gone out for a cigarette break and he comes out and, you know, takes a cigarette from her. And then he tries to, you know, um, have this polite little chit-chat. She walks off yeah. and he goes, well, fuck you too. Yeah. <laughs> and she sort of turns back and we're like, I like that. Yeah, and, like, it's so not, it's so incongruous to what you think a Catholic <laughs> priest would be. And, he, like, everything about him is so incongruous, you know, like the, the drinking mm. and the, you know, the the way that he lives and he's mm. kind of um he, i mean he's young you know you don't expect necessarily um you associate with quirky. older people he's, he's quirky. Really quirky yeah he has a sense of humor yes. he gets her he but he's also very sympathetic 
as he well. He is very sympathetic. Yeah, and he, he, I suppose you know he's he's what you want a priest to be. He's almost like yeah. an ideal priest, which is probably why he's got the, the title of hot priest. Because it's not just simply his looks, but, but rather that his personality itself. Yeah, it's his personality. Yeah. It's his it's his like the whole package that encapsulates him. Mm. And he catches her breaking the fourth wall. Infamously. Yes, well, yes, yeah. which I absolutely love. You know, it's almost like. Um, you know, I'm a bit of romantic at heart, I suppose. <laughs> that soulmate idea, somebody who gets you to such a degree that, you know, these little private things you do inside your head, yeah. they can see. You know, he doesn't figure out what she's doing, but he's kind of, he just sort of says, where did she just go there? Yeah, you, you yeah. left. And, and yeah. she's kind of like, how, how does he know, you know where I go? And she's like, and then she breaks it again, and he's kind of like, there, there, he just did it again. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't quite tweak to what she's doing, mm-hmm. but he knows that something is happening inside her brain that but nobody yeah, else in her world is able to pick up exactly like her family, mm. her sister. Mm. Yeah, she's, she's very got, close to you. She's got a. She's got well, Yeah, we will. We'll come back to her sister. But yeah, she's got. You know, nobody. Her parents or her, her father. Nobody mm. understands that. And it's like he calls her out on it. Like yes. she's. He he almost calls her out on this. Like I'm going to remove myself from my life in order mm. to make a quippy joke about it. Yeah. Um. He says, actually, you're removing yourself from the moment. Yes, and I also love that she loses control of. Um, her ability to talk to the four, four around him. So there's, you know, there's that scene where she keeps back and forth saying, "Oh, his neck or his arm," and then suddenly she says it to him, yeah. without realizing, "Oh, she forgot to, yeah, you know, to switch gear." And she says his neck, and she he's sort of, like, "What was that?" Well, yeah. <laughs> and she, Can't say anything. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's such a beautiful kind of encapsulation of like that kind of relationship is mm-hmm. one in which you know each other so well that yeah. there's no hiding. Yes, and I, and I do love that aspect of um, you know, that, that sort of internalization you know because there is time especially very early on in the relationship where you do think those sort of <laughs> ridiculous thought like no I just love you know his neck or his, mm. his arm or you know, whatever it is and you're focusing on silly things about a person rather than the more deeper things that you should really be attracted to mm. um, and I love that it shows those sort of aspects rather than just um, gloss over them I suppose yeah and like her like you know, it does really well, I think, stuff like her excitement. Mm. You know, like just, you know, she goes to the church. So she meets him, you know, at the dinner and then she goes to the church and, like, watches him. And, she, you know, she'll turn up at places where she knows he is and, like, she's really excited to learn more mm. and, like, she keeps showing up at his house and so forth. And she's just wanting to kind of be close to him but also kind of learn about him mm. and, like, immerse herself. And, like, it's such a beautiful well done, true to life kind of, that kind of tentative, I think something's happening yeah. here, you know? And also we get to see, especially um, once we've finished the first season, how different he is from uh, the way she interacts with other yeah. interests in her especially life. Especially her, her uh, long-standing she, ex, yeah. Yeah, her long-standing ex or even the guy who I think they're facetiously called anal guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she, she likes these guys, but she doesn't, um, not to the level yeah, she really doesn't fascinated sh- by him. Yeah, she doesn't share much. No, uh, and she doesn't open up her inner world to these people yeah. at all. Uh, whereas with him, she—it's almost like uh, from the first moment they meet, he slowly chips away those walls, and so that by the end uh, of the series and the end of the relationship, she's able to grow from mm. that. You know, even though it wasn't a successful relationship, which I think is a fantastic message, even though it wasn't a successful uh, relationship. It still taught her things. It still allowed her to progress and move uh, in ways that we often don't associate with failed relationships. Yeah, and I mean, like even the fact that she's able to say that she loves him mm. to oh, to which to is him. It is so it is heartbreaking. Ways. But like even that kind of like 
vulnerability is mm. unusual for Fleabag, you know, because she's usually so yeah. quippy and wisecracking and mm. almost attached. But also that brutal honesty, you know, I mean, yeah. that, that scene, you know, when we finished watching it, my, uh, I watched it with my housemate and he had to watch that scene again twice because he loved it so much. Um, because I think there, there's a there's a brutal honesty there that you don't often find in you know, any sort of film or television series of that nature. Uh, where you know, the minute he sits down, she just says to him, well, it's God, isn't it? Like, mm. well, you've chosen God, you haven't chosen me. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because she seemed to have, no, uh, she knew before we did. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the, the really wise audience would probably have picked yeah, that, that this isn't going to um, be it. But yeah. you know, I think the average audience would have thought, oh, no, no, I, I think there's a potential mm. need to have a happy ending. And yet she somehow has picked it up already and she calls him out on that as mm. if to spare him from saying, you know, yeah, I've to made do my it. choice. Yeah. Because, you know, when I rewatched it again, I thought it was the speech. You know, when he was giving that um, mm. wedding speech, there was uh, two levels at play there. On the one level, you think he's talking about her. But when you listen to it carefully, he's actually talking about God. Yeah. You know, he wasn't talking about her. And that's what she picked up on. And it's not played as like, again, I think a lesser show would be like, well, you're an asshole, you know, yeah, like yeah. you've, you've you know, made me fall in love with you and, and you know. use me and then <laughs> now you've decided to just go back to yeah. being a priest. Um, and she doesn't play it like that at all. She's no. like, actually, this has been a kind of worthwhile experience, even yes. if it's un- ended unhappily. Yeah. And, you know, she's sad at the end, obviously, but yeah. it's not like... And so is he. It's over. And yeah. they're both sad. They're and they both, both have this like mature moment of oh, like, it's, it's, you know, we really had something, but it can't work out for mm. whatever reason. I mean, it's so beautiful. You know, I almost want to weep just thinking about it. Yeah, it um, is. It is, And it's so mature. It is so mature. I mean, you never um, see that. No. And he even says, you know, um, I love you too, back to her at, yeah. at the end, which is um, a part of me, th- uh, well, actually my housemate said, you know, was it cruel for him to say that? And I thought, no, no, no. I think she wanted to put it out there, not because she wanted a response back because she actually says to him no just leave it there for a moment just you know, let it sit there for, for a moment and I think he was doing the same thing but he also felt that it needed to be said it needed to be out there mm. even though it did hurt her to some degree because you know, maybe a part of her would have been happier not to know that he does love her but I think also too way. maybe she is happier knowing because and it's I like think, a validation yeah. of like this was an experience yeah. that was important to us it wasn't just like yes. you know people hooking up it was just, it was a really important experience mm. that really affected both of us. It wasn't made up in my head. And I think it also, you know, just while you're saying that, I was thinking, I think that's also the closure that I was thinking about. Mm. That's why it has a little bit more closure because it wasn't the fact that it ends happily or ends in a very satisfactory, although it is very satisfactory for me, way. But uh, you just think, well, she's okay with it now. You know, she's mm-hmm. still sad because mm. the relationship hasn't worked out, but she's at least okay and is able to move on rather than is stuck in this moment yeah which often happens absolutely. at the end of a particular relationship mm. um yeah so while we're sort of on the top of the hot priest i do have to ask the question because it's something that continually bugs me the scene the infamous neil neil oh. scene <laughs> now i don't understand it to be honest i mean i thought it was very very effective but the internet went completely... It was uh, just the way he said it, I think. And that, <laughs> was that, it the way he said it? It's the way he says it and, like, that kind of transgressive, like, I've never been particularly interested in, like, <laughs> priest, hot priest stories. Oh, you like Catholic so much. Well, I grew up Catholic. I wouldn't mm. consider myself Catholic okay. anymore. But, um, non-practicing. Non, non-practicing, non-believing. But, like, I grew up in, mm. you know, my parents were Catholic, went to Catholic school, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I know that there's, like, the thorn birds and all that sort yes. of stuff. You know, which is another wonderful 
series and book. Yeah, yeah. But like, I never was like, you know, particularly interested in that. But there's something like, there's something sexy, I think, about that transgression. (laughs) Um, And just the, the kind of power dynamics that are at play there where she's mm. she's confessing to him but it's become like this sexually charged kind of thing and then but i mean it doesn't you know it doesn't really stay like that and they're having a bit of fun with it too because yes. i think that remember there's that other scene where he says where she calls him father and he says you know don't pretend it didn't turn you wanted to call me that <laughs> um yes. and like they're playing with that i think mm. they're making it sexy and they're also kind of having a bit of a laugh about its sexiness and but, its transgression. Yeah, and I think all the other characters also acknowledge that because, I mean, uh, initially when we first meet him, the, uh, the Olivia Coleman character sort of says, oh, you didn't bring your, your collar today. Yeah. Almost as if it's like this fetish yeah. thing. Yeah, where like it would have been sexy if you had Yeah, it would have been sexy if you had your collar on. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know, there's something really disturbing Well, it's just that, that, you know, like the old, like, the sexiness is in the forbiddenness. Yes. You know, like, because yes. that's the... And the know, transgressiveness as The well, transgressiveness. Yeah. You know, the, that's the... The yeah. Catholic priest is not somebody who is supposed to be sexual. No. But he is an attractive... Or if they are, it's creepy. Or, or, or criminal. <laughs> yeah, it's criminal. Um, yes. Yeah. But, like, there's... But he is a young, attractive man. Hmm. And I think it's also the, the level of consent as well. Because it didn't have to... I mean, it, it just sort of came out of the blue. You would think, oh, this is yeah. kind of a little bit weird. But it's the fact that it comes right after a scene where she is basically saying she doesn't know what she wants and what she really wants at the moment is somebody just to tell her. Tell her what to do. Tell her how to, to, do. Tell to, her how how to, to fix herself. Yeah, yeah, which is, I think, a really interesting psychological um, investigation because she's effectively saying, you know, I'm, I'm so lost at the moment, mm. uh, even though I'm a, a proud, independent woman, I just actually now need somebody to tell me what yeah, to do. Yeah, and, and she's so, like, she has these, like, that occasional moments too. of vulnerability. Yes. Yeah, um, where she just, like... You know, usually she's so kind of detached and ironic mm. and funny. Yes. Um, but in those moments, she just lets bear everything. Yes. That, you know, the you, the things that you don't, you, you know, tell anyone. Um, and, and I think that's one of the most vulnerable moments for her. Yeah. You know, that that's where she's completely almost like bare naked. Yeah. In front of her. And that's what makes it, I think, so sexy because yes. she's just kind of unburdened in the way that she's never really done with anybody else, not her sister, not mm. her parents, blah, 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 um, not Boo. Yes. Um and she just lets it all out. Hmm. And that's what makes it such a charged moment because it's yes. like, yeah, like you say, there's a sort of nakedness to it. Yes. Um, that is, you know, but it's they emo- play on that. Yes, yeah. and it's emotional nakedness. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Think, um, I've been thinking a lot, <laughs> I don't know why, uh, about the differences between male sexual attraction and female sexual attraction. And one of the things that a lot of people often say is that female sexual attraction always starts in the mind. Hmm. as opposed to male, which often starts in, in the eyes. Um, <laughs> or and, somewhere else. <laughs> so somewhere else. <laughs> that's not the truth. <laughs> but I was just thinking that, you know, in that, that that's a really good scene to indicate that, that, you know, it was, it's the build-up, it's the setup, it's everything that builds up and culminates mm. in that one moment where the word kneel mm. could then have such a mm. startling effect on, you know, yeah. all these female viewers. On her and, and as, well as, the, as well as the audience. And because we're so aligned with her... Yes. It, it has that effect on us because, mm. you know, right from the beginning, because she's always talking to us, we're always on her side. We don't even know her name. Right. She, she's, she's just called Fleabag. She's just Fleabag. Yeah. Um, Which we, is a derogatory term in itself. And yeah. the term that she applies to herself. You know, yeah. Very telling, I think. Yeah, but it's it, we, we so feel by this point in the series, you know, two episode, two seasons and, you know, four mm. episodes or something into the second series, um, you feel so aligned to her that you're almost her. 
You know what I mean? And so it works upon you as well because she's mm. feeling so kind of moved or, or close to him in that moment and vulnerable. You do as well? Yeah. Um, I mean, the funniest uh, thing I've read about that particular scene was one uh, Twitter user who, t- who tweeted, you know, oh, my God, in that scene, uh, when he said, Neil, my vagina exploded. <laughs> <laughs> should have a R18 plus. warning on But I just thought it, it perfectly encapsulates the way people are responding to her as a character. They've aligned so much with her as a character that they... You know, the flea bag jumpsuit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many think pieces I've read about that? You know the jumpsuit that she wears yeah, in, yeah. in the in the dinner party scene? I have also purchased the jumpsuit. Did you? I purchased the jumpsuit. <laughs> I plan to get lots of wear out of this one. Um, but, um, you know, like the fact that this whole... There's been this whole phenomenon of women going out and buying the very same jumpsuit that she wears mm. because you want to get some of her vibe yeah. Like she's such a she's so damaged and she does such shitty things a lot of the time, um, and she's not like she's flawed. She's not a perfect character, mm. but you feel so close to her. It's like you want to get yeah. It's like I'm buying it to be part of that, you know. Which is interesting because you know I mean the character never sells itself as a, a character to to look up to as something yeah or an to, aspire to uh, yeah, yeah exactly. It, it, it's hot. She's highly damaged. She's somebody whose who's life is so messy that you wouldn't want yeah. to, to live her life, and yet so many people uh, relate and respond to her character to the point you know, where they're, they're buying jumpsuits. Well, I mean, you have no idea how many, like, <laughs> think pieces I've read about this jumpsuit and women I know on Twitter who so, purchased the jumpsuit. So what's the attraction of the jumpsuit? It's just something about her vibe in it. She's just confident and sexy, but also, like, not showy... Um, you know, it's smart, it's modern. Like, it's just, it, it seems to encapsulate everything that she is. And it's not perfect or girly necessarily, mm. but it also is very girly. I don't know, it's just the whole show. It's it's a it's a nice kind of, um, again, like I said, it's it's a way of women sort of seeking or seek identifying with Fleabag and, mm. you know, even the parts of Fleabag that aren't necessarily yeah. and wonderful, think, you know? I think what also really helps... Um, the serials uh, is the fact that the actors who are quite attractive in their own right they're, they're not you know impossibly attractive they're not they're Hollywood really, attractive yeah, they're just like they're, they're realistically people. attractive yeah, uh, and the like, characters make them infinitely more yeah. attractive as if you saw them on the street you'd think that they're attractive people but they're mm. not like goddesses yeah you, you know kind of like oh my god I can never be like yeah that. like you know that is that these whereas Fleabag is attainable and yeah Priest is possibly attainable yeah this isn't like the land of the impossible beautiful people like yes. in, you know a Hollywood thing it's like people who exist and like her father looks like a father uh-huh. and you know her stepmother looks like uh, you know an <laughs> art monster um and her sister's like which is ironic because Olivia Coleman is such a warm yeah I know but normally. Olivia Coleman is so fantastic I just yeah. think she's the greatest I, I think she can play anything yeah, yeah she's but... just amazing but um can we talk about her sister because I love yes. her sister um in 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 reality I'm much more like her sister than I was just going to say, uh, you yes. know that kind of like I can so imagine you that kind of highly sister. strung you know like career woman and it's yes. so me um but I love the way the show manages the, I relationship, love the relationship between her sister. Absolutely, the relationship between the sisters I think is the heart of oh, the yeah. show itself. Even even with even when they don't stuff. talk to each other, even when they're fighting. Um, I mean, I think what's brilliant about that dinner scene um, is the way that everything there's this tension because uh, they haven't been talking. Yeah, because they yeah. haven't been talking, uh, and they're obviously not talking to to each other. And you're thinking, who's going to break first? Uh, and the sister tells this strange, innocuous story, and suddenly she's like, "You know, you're being so quiet. You know, what's the 
<laughs> what mm. you, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And you're just kind of like, that's the break. That's yeah. what I was looking for. And it perfectly... And it all just... Yes. And it perfectly encapsulates mm, that yeah. sisterly or um, you know, sibling relationship where even if you're angry with the other person, you almost feel as if you can't hold back. As if, you know, yeah. Like, that look, ki- <laughs> they're kind of close, but like narkiness yes. you know, that you only have with your... You know, I remember somebody saying, like a, t- so a, tw- a tweet, this was on Twitter, um, it was sibling culture is not talking to your sibling for three weeks and then sending them like a picture of a monkey that they found online and saying, this looks like you. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's like that's like the sibling relationship, you yes. know, like that kind of like it's such an affectionate teasing. Yeah, yeah. But it's such an interesting relationship. And I think a lot of um, texts don't focus enough on the nuances of that sibling relationship. And what I love about the series is it gets that sisterly relationship so perfectly. There are two scenes that strike me. One is in the first season, one is in the second. The first, the, the one in the first season is that <laughs> that scene where they're at a, a feminist talk and, and ah, um, it's, you know, they're asked the question. One of my favourite scenes <laughs> yeah, of all time, yes. They're asked the question, like, would you take five years off your life <laughs> in order to have a better body? <laughs> and nobody puts their hand up except for <laughs> back and her sister. And then they look at each other and realise they both have their hand up. And I'm like, okay, that is perfect. <laughs> you know, we're bad feminists. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, shit, it's embarrassing. <laughs> yes. And then in the, in the second series, the scene where... Um, Felipe is telling her sister to follow this this dude through the airport and you know have this big love declaration and she's like the only person I've run through the airport for is you, which is beautiful in so so many ways. But you know we we don't put enough emphasis I think on other types of love. Yeah, like and family and yeah. and yeah that and and it's mm. and they both kind of have this moment of like oh that's true. Yeah, I actually thought you were going to pick another scene from the second season, which is what <laughs> uh, hair is everything. Oh yeah, hair is everything. <laughs> hair is everything. <laughs> She gets women so much. <laughs> Hair is I, everything. Actually, I, I think you sort of um, <clears throat> hit the nail on the hammer there. I think one of the reasons why this show is so popular is, is that she gives an incredibly truthful insight into the mind of a lot of women, things that women don't often like to share or admit. Yeah, and especially she, like women of a certain kind of, you know, yeah. mid-30s, you yeah, know, I mean, which is where I am. <laughs> so it's like talking to me. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the scene where, I mean, and I think she says she based it on real life too, of her sister calling up saying she just had a, a terrible haircut, you know, you, you have to come now, it's an emergency, and it's like, you know, look at my haircut, it's awful. <laughs> I mean, every woman knows what that means. <laughs> and then and then going to the hairdresser and trying to tell him off, and then he shows a picture and it looks yes. exactly like a haircut. And you're kind of like, oh, sorry, well, we'll come back later. <laughs> yeah, and like just that, like, my life is over. Yeah. How am I supposed to go through my because life of my with this hair? hair? And I'm like, every woman gets that. <laughs> I'm like, every woman who has seen that scene is like, oh, yeah, shit. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, you know, I remember a very, very similar scene with a, a female friend of mine. She was so traumatized by this haircut she got because she's, and she blamed the hairdresser, although now looking at the scene, I wonder how much of it was the hairdresser's <laughs> fault anymore. She's saying, you know, I just asked her to cut just ever so slightly, and she chopped it off like this. And she was so upset. She's like, you know how long it would take me to grow this back? And blah, blah, I know. Blah. I There's like, nothing like a bad haircut. I was like, Jesus, it's, it's just a haircut, you know? It's, it's okay. No. Like, it's like it's every day. <laughs> it's all you think about. So you don't get it. Hair is everything. everything. I know. Oh, that scene, it was just like Phoebe Willabridge. <laughs> gets it she gets it and she's living for us (laughs) Mm. um i also want to bring up another she's uh, one of the things i really love about the the series are some of the side characters who often get neglected but Mm. i think in the second season there's some really amazing side character and my favorite side character and one of my favorite scenes in the series um is the the character played by um uh, kristen scott thomas Uh, and that wonderful speech she has about women and pain. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I, I had to rewatch that scene over and over again because I just thought 
wow, like you know, it's it's such an interesting take, and it's something that as a as a male, I never really thought about. And women and aging as yeah, well. Women yeah, and aging, mm. and you know, there was just so much truth and honesty and wisdom in and that you scene. Never hear that. And you never hear that. Like yeah. I was, like I was just so enraptured in that scene. I just mm. thought. I mean, I wanted to kiss, you know, Kristen Scott Thomas myself. You know, when she kissed, I was kind of like, oh my god, you know, you're amazing, yeah. you're a wonderful, you know, character. And I just love that she invests so much. Um, it's it's almost Dickensian, really, you know, mm. how much she invests in some of these side characters who never reappear again. And she does this fantastic thing, which I never see on TV, where she'll just. This is a side character who mm. just exists in that episode. She's yes. never going to come back. Mm. You know, she's, and she exists very briefly in that episode she's, too, mind she's you. It, but she allows that scene to just play out and give her this beautiful speech that mm. is like, you know, it's only brief, but it's Emmy Award worthy, right? And she just lets that happen. Yes. And it, there's no like, I'm going to be some kind of important person that's going to mm. pop back up in an unexpected way in your life. It's mm. just she lets that scene exist and gives it space to breathe. Yes. And the transgression in terms of sexuality there, I think, yeah. is also really, really interesting because we never kind of get the sense or we get some suggestion in the first season that Fleabag could be bisexual mm. to some degree. But she doesn't label herself and she doesn't see a Yeah, and it's never herself. like yeah. an issue. An, yeah. an issue. And we see it almost coming to fruition in that particular scene. Yeah. Because what she was attracted to there wasn't necessarily gender or um, uh, whatever ideals that she has, but rather the person. Yeah, and the the person's kind of wisdom, I suppose, yes. maybe, or just like their ability to to be wise and knowing yes. and interesting and funny. And, and just even the wisdom, I mean, the character is so wise that she sort of says, you know, I, I wish you were my type. And... <laughs> And she's like, yeah, well, why don't you know? You said to me, and she's like, well, to be honest, I just can't be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I just love that, you know, because yeah. you know there, there is so much wisdom in that. That you know, well, some... and like even just like that tiredness of all yeah, like, you know, exactly. like sometimes, like, sometimes you just can't be bothered. I know, like, I know, too much exactly. Work, I know, you know? Exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to get to that myself. <laughs> yeah. I think. Well, there are times where I just like, you know, I'm just so tired. Yeah, I can't there are be some things with this. I just cannot be bothered. Yeah, like when you were young, you would like well, young, you force yeah, an issue absolutely. and make a drama out of it. But then you get to a certain age, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I just, I'm just gonna go home. Yeah. Sleep is more precious to me right yeah. now, and that kind of brutal honesty—not um, necessarily brutal, but I think clarity of honesty. Yeah. Oh, is, I mean, look, I could rave about this show all day. And another like side character that I love is um, the therapist that she oh, goes to I see. Love her. Um, just beautiful. She barely says anything, but it's such a, it's a brilliant scene, and um, she just you know manages to convey everything that's needed to in that yeah. in that interaction. But but even I mean I think. Even the way that scene closes, where um, she's like, you know, um, I, I don't know what you, what to do, mm. and the therapist says, you've already made your decision, you've already decided, you already know what you're going to do. Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. You already know what you're going to do. And then cut to the next scene, she's at the, the fate. Yeah. <laughs> the priest is like, yeah, okay, well, you, she was right. She, she clearly did. Yeah. She, she was right. You did know exactly. Uh, what you're you're right. Do. The editing is just it's just the juxtaposition of scenes. It's, it's just, just amazing. You know, it, it's one of those shows that I can rewatch over and over again because I, I just love. Not only the character development, but the actual skill and art that went into producing. Yeah, that, you know, everything. and that's why it needs, and that why that's why it can be so brief. Because hmm. all you need to do is her for for the therapist to say, "Well, I know what you're going to do," hmm. and then the next scene, well, she's doing it. Yes, there's no waffle, there's no fluff, there's no like flea bag sitting at home thinking and, and about her life. And that's why the show is never boring. Yeah, like, there's not a single moment in the show where I think. Oh, I'll just move on with it. Oh, I'm getting a little bit bored here. It's kind of like it's, it's, it bombards you with one amazing scene after another after another. The, after the another. test for me these days is whether mm. I can stay off my phone. 
because like we, our, our attention span is so fragmented and so yes. short these days that you know I find in a in a lesser show I just you know end up scrolling through Twitter mindlessly or or you know Snap. like or, or just or you know occasionally if there'll be a, a boring bit or boring scene or a subplot that I'm not invested in I'll pick up my phone and look at my email or whatever mm. got any new emails in the last ten minutes <laughs> you know that sort of thing but like I was there mm. I was in it You're and in I it. feel like that is the for me, is now the kind of indic- indic- indicative of, of how much I'm into it. And, mm. like, you know, like I said, I've been watching Veronica Mars, which I really like, but I've been on my phone quite a bit in certain <laughs> bits of that show. I mean, I really enjoy it, but it, it, it's not as good as this. And, like, this, I was just completely immersed in the world and I wanted, even though I love the brevity of it, like, I could just be in it yes. all day. It could be longer and I wouldn't I wouldn't even be able to tell. I just yeah. complain because I think it's amazing. Uh, my test, incidentally, when I'm watching with other people, is the side test. Do, if, if I'm watching somebody and I hear, <sighs> yeah. then I know, okay, well, they're not enjoying this particular show. Yeah, well, this is like an eye-roll-worthy yeah, moment eye-roll of like uh, cliché or something. Yeah, yeah and in, in this show, my housemate, it was more me actually having to pause because he's laughing so loud, he's drowning out the dialogue. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem too because... Because of that um, non-stop, almost action-like mm. scene, you don't get a chance to actually laugh and you know catch up because you're, you're laughing and then she's already moving on to the next scene and you're trying to. It's, it's almost like theatre in that sense. I think you know you uh, you want to be in the moment, but you're also laughing and trying to pay attention and mm. the scenes moved on without you. And you know, mm. I just love the entire thing. Yeah, I mean, I could rave all day about it. It's so great. Um, you wanted to mention too that it's going to the play is going to be filmed in Sydney. Yes. So, Fever uh, uh, Waller Bridge at the moment is uh, is going to be in the, the London production of the play. So she's she's reenacting the play again. Uh, and of course, we can't all go to London to go watch it, which is a shame. Sadly, uh, yes. Sadly, yes. Uh, but a, a couple of the cinemas in Sydney and I think uh, also in other states too. Um, so we've got here Canberra is also doing it as well. Uh, uh, filming it live mm. and we can actually watch it live. So this is happening uh, over October, so October 11th, 12th, 13th and 15th. So those who are in Sydney, Dendi, um, Upper Keys and Newtown are currently showing it during those dates. Also and at also Golden Age. Also at the Golden Age yeah. in Surrey Hills uh, mm. on limited date for that one. So I can't remember the actual date for that one. Mm. For those who are interested, I'm definitely going to buy a ticket to go watch yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Think, you know, yeah. It should be amazing to see. Not quite live, but as close to live as we can without you know spending $2,000 on a plane ticket to go see. I did see a very, really funny um, article in the paper about, well, like somebody pointed out an article in the paper about the Fleabag show and somebody <laughs> counted up and she says, 35 swears <laughs> in the show and I'm like look if you if you're going to see Fleabag you know what you're getting into well, you, you would you would expect some swears <laughs> well I think yeah that, that has to be a warning so you know it's for those who can't tell already you know this is, this is a not show, a show for children no it's not a show for, show for children all those with delicate and sensibilities those, exactly those who have, yeah that's a nice way of putting it. I was going to put it another way which I don't like now that you said it that way but um, it's if you love uh, irreverent sometimes very very crude sweary sweary you know dirty, snarky humour, which I absolutely you know, lap up, then you will love the show. But mm-hmm. if not, then maybe you know, give it a bit of a miss because you, yeah. you could be quite offended, I think. Yeah, um, if you're the, the wrong kind of person, I think you'd be offended. But I mean, like, I, I it works it, for me. Like, it's just it, yeah. injected into my veins. Yes, I, I find it hard to be offended by it because she, you know, she's not making fun of anybody. No, she's it's, not, of it's not nasty. It's not, it doesn't yeah. have a nasty There's bone. There's no nasty bone in it. But yeah. Yeah, if, if you do have, you know, as you put it, delicate sensibilities, then, yeah, you could find yourself offended. I think the first scene is a real, you know, if you respond. It's a real test, exactly. If you can respond well to that first scene, then you're going to love yeah. it. 
if you can't, then yeah, maybe give a shout. I think I like barked out loud, like it was laughter, like, and I knew straight away. I was like five, you know, thirty seconds, five seconds to thirty seconds in. I'm like, yep, I'm all in. Yeah, sign yeah. me up. I, I was the same. You know, just <laughs> literally almost rolling on the ground, <laughs> laughing my head off, and thinking, I, I need to pause this so I can just sort of think about what I just watched. It was so brilliant for me, anyway. Um, and I think. A, well, judging by its success, a lot of people are yes, responding well yes. to it, which for me it's is a very promising good. sign yes. for society, even though, you know, Steph is a bit of a pessimist and cynic uh, in that way. She'll have to agree with but, that. But, you know, like, it's it's like the litmus test. You know how there are some, like, texts, books or mm. shows or whatever where you like, if you like it, we'll get on. Yes. Yes. I feel like if you're, if you're a flea bag kind of person. Absolutely. I know that you're my person. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, I, I think that's a really good test, actually. If, yeah. If you love Fleabag, then yes, you're definitely somebody I'd, I'd yeah. get along with. If you don't, if you, then... if you think it's, yeah, if you don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, well, I'm to be a bit honest, hesitant. You know, I'll like, need I'm, further information before I, I make a decision. Think, <laughs> I was just thinking about a, a few people I know, and I think, yeah, there's a few people I probably wouldn't recommend Fleabag. To, yeah, I'm, I just I'm think, a bit sceptical of those people, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I've got a few people in mind, but others, I thought, yeah, look, I yeah. think you would really love Fleabag, yeah. and I can so see that happening. I think we've completely ran out of time. Um, although I could talk about this for the rest of time, obviously. Yes. <laughs> um, thank you, Jimmy, for coming in. Oh, a pleasure. It is always a pleasure yes. to talk to you, especially about something as great as Fleabag. Yes. All right, so this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. Um, send your comments, questions, or suggestions to fromthelighthouse.org um, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Um, we'll see you again in two weeks. Goodbye. <laughs>